Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Crew, this time with the legendary Cody <laughs> Peterson, the uh, on-set sound mixer, who I've worked with for years and is uh, one of the most talented sound mixers out there today and excited to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you were telling me a lot about the um, work you've been doing, and it seems like a lot of the uh, docs and commercials are kind of the, um, you know, what's happening right now. Um, but you, you got your start uh, at Chapman University, and yep. I believe we met several years ago. Uh, love to learn more about sort of uh, kind of, you know, how you got started in the world of sound mixing. You know, it's kind of funny because it actually kind of found me. Um, when I was in middle school, I went to a brand new middle school and we had a, like our own TV station for the morning announcements. And I got involved with that. And, you know, it's like, you know, very rudimentary, as you can imagine. It was the first time that like digital was coming into play as well, where you could, you know, make your own thing on a mini DV tape and shoot it and show it. And I kind of got to know we're using iMovie at the time and kind of know the basics of, oh, this is sound and this is a microphone, that kind of thing. But what really kind of hit me off in sound was when I got to high school, um, it was actually in theater sound. So when I first started high school, when I was a freshman, um, the previous year, the uh, guy who had been doing all the sound mixing for all the plays and whatnot had graduated. So they were looking for somebody new. And a friend of mine who was in the drama department, who was a year older than me, kind of recommended me because I kind of was tech savvy. And even though I didn't have any experience in theater sound at all, she was kind of like, hey, could you possibly figure this out? Because we're kind of in a, a position here where we nobody knows how to do this kind of thing. So it was kind of baptism by fire, though, because, you know, all of a sudden I went from being like, oh, one microphone into a mini DV camcorder or whatever to running like, you know, 12, 15 channels of wireless microphones on a stage on live performances. So it was kind of, oh, wow. it's kind of baptism by fire, I guess you could say, in terms of like going from like one microphone to like, oh, hey, we're gonna have costume changes and there's gonna be people in the back changing microphones out. You better know what channel is gonna be coming up next because if you open it up the mic too early, all of a sudden somebody might be talking in the wings to a live audience. So it was definitely a really good way of learning it quickly how to manage microphones and mixing and the whole nine yards, especially because you're doing it not only just for, you know, quality's sake of like the actual, you know, sound for the recording, because oftentimes would be recording the actual performances, but also you have a whole live audience. So you're trying to make it sound good for the actual environment. So it was definitely an interesting thing to learn when you're, I don't know, I think I was like 14 years old or whatever when I started it. So I did that all four years there at, uh, at the high school and I enjoyed it and stuff. And I kind of like had grown up doing like a lot of surf videos and skate videos and that kind of thing. Cause I grew up in San Clemente where that's like the norm. And when I decided to go to film school, I actually didn't think I wanted to do sound right away. I actually thought I wanted to um, maybe be like, even like, like, you know, work with the camera department or even be an editor, the picture editor, actually. I kind of have been enjoying editing little videos and whatnot while I was in middle school and high school. So anyway, I went to open-mindedly went into uh Film school, went to Chapman. Uh, it, was, it was a brand new, well, the program had been out for 10 years, but they had a brand new fancy building they had just built with the you know, top of the line stuff. So I was kind of on the ground floor of that in 2006. And when I got there, as soon as I even mentioned I knew anything about sound, 
everybody was like, please help us, please help us. And I had really no experience with like cinema sound and being on set and dealing with the, you know, the, the level of, you know, how things flow on set. So it was another learning experience for me, but uh, my background in, in the theater sound helped out a lot because I was familiar with wireless microphones and not really so much booming and whatnot. So there was still things to learn and recording for, you know, on sets with takes and paperwork and everything else too. Definitely had to learn all that. But yeah, kind of like as soon as I mentioned that, I kind of got thrown into it and I know I really enjoyed it. It was a different, different aspect and I kind of like that. I'm, I'm definitely a technical guy. So it's kind of a nice way of bridging technical with like, okay, this is how a microphone works. This is how you solve this kind of problem on set. But also creatively, sometimes you have to be pretty creative about hiding microphones and costumes and whatever it may be. So it's kind of a, kind of a mixture of both the worlds. And yeah, it kind of found me really. But yeah, definitely uh, there was a shortage of sound people at the film school. So by even knowing anything about sound, it was kind of like everybody was really wanting me to help them out. And I kind of obliged. Oh, I could out. only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what That must be crazy going from... Um, you know, in high school with just sort of basic, you know, uh, equipment um, to what Chapman has, which is uh, sort of a world-class facility. Yeah, it was with, definitely uh, a difference. Just oh, yeah. huge upgrade. Oh, yeah. No, I went from managing yeah. a, we, we called it the cafetorium, where it was literally the cafeteria slash auditorium where we would do all these plays. This was not Carnegie Hall or something. This was like pretty... Yeah pretty hard surfaces, pretty old equipment. You know, we had, we had just upgraded our wireless mics to something kind of halfway decent, but even then, yeah, it was nothing in comparison. I mean, I, I forgot how much they spent on that building in, in actual Chapman, but they definitely had better equipment. But it, the, also the technology has changed a lot because like when I first started film school, we were shooting on film and like we had like maybe two track recorders for audio, maybe a boom and get some, a couple lobs maybe. But now it's it's just changed so dramatically with digital that it's like it's night and day. I, I always laugh when I think about the equipment we were starting with even then. That was only like, you know, 15 years ago. So it's kind of amazing, actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's all everything is uh, across the board has changed, you know, so drastically. What what was, uh, you know, some of the key differences with like what you're working with now and, you know, what you were working with then? Well, when I first started out at Chapman for sound, um, what we were using was a two track Fostex recorder. Um, they definitely had bigger track recorders out there in the market. Um, I believe sound devices had just come out with the 788, which was like an eight track recorder, which is like considered like crazy, like witchcraft. How could you put that many tracks into a digital box kind of thing? But um, we started off with basic two track recorders. It was digital, so I wasn't working with tape or anything like that, but it was definitely like pretty rudimentary. Like it was like, you know, you had to kind of figure out your sources. I mean, we're doing student filmmaking anyway, so you're pretty limited on budget and everything else anyways. But it definitely, you had to be pretty creative about how you were committing your mixes. Cause like maybe you put like boom on one channel and mix a couple lobs into one track as well. So you, if you messed up or somebody touched their mic or whatever, you'd interfere with the other track. So you're like, oh great, now we just ruined that track. Cause now both mics are on there kind of thing. Now it's like, oh man, every recorder now, like even you can go buy a, you know, eight track recorder for like probably six, 700 bucks on the low end, you know? And that would be way better than the several thousand dollars we were spending on a basic two-track recorder back then. So it's kind of remarkable how that's changed in the sound world. And microphones are getting smaller. Wireless microphones are getting smaller. 
um, a lot more frequency options because you're not dealing with the analog stuff that's going to the digital realm. It's it's changed a lot in the last 15 years. I'm, I'm sure if you talk to somebody on the camera or anything like that too, they would say the same thing. But sound-wise, yeah, it's definitely changed a lot, even in my short tenure as my profession has gone on. How has, uh, you know, I think one of the, the big things outside of just, you know, well, part of sound mix recording is, uh, you know, mixing. And I know a lot of it is automated. Um, how much of that has really, you know, evolved within your, you know, career from, uh, from mixing in you know, the high school auditorium to using some of the technology available today? Well, it's changed quite a bit. I mean, when I first started out, I was dealing with the 24 track board, but it, you know, we were broadcasting it out, you know, live to the speakers in the room. Um, analog board, you know, you basically use it. Anybody's that's seen a board, an analog board, it's just like, you know, you have a lot, looks like it has a million switches on there, but once you know how each track works, it's, you kind of figure out how it works with the EQ and everything. But even then, yeah, there was no automation or anything like that. It was all like, Hey, this person's coming on. You had your, you had to know your cue and you had to bring it up. Now, of course, like, yes, in the really high end theater world, there's a lot more automation going on because they're digital boards where they actually can automate faders, especially with sound design in, in theaters. I mean, if you've ever been to like a Broadway play now, it's like, you know, they've got a whole on sound design going on in the theater itself, you know? So it's kind of amazing. We were, we were like having sound effects burned to a CD and we'd have a CD player hooked up to the board and have to hit play in the right time kind of thing. You know, that's how, that's how ours was. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, it's changed a lot on that end. I, I haven't really worked a lot in, the, in in theater sound since high school, really. But for live events, live events are always tricky because even today, some live events now, even if you're just streaming out to the web or whatever it may be, it's like you that's probably that's probably the most stressful thing you could work in in terms of being a sound mixer is a live event. Um, just like even, oh gosh, yeah. yeah. Even there's you watch no a high school football game now on TV, there's still like equipment that's better than the NFL had 20 years ago, it seems like. Cause you know, streaming in high definition, they got announcers on there, the whole nine yards, multiple camera angles. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then the, probably the crazy. hardest live sound thing is a major sporting event. Like, for example, the Super Bowl or like the Olympics, they literally coordinate for months, if not years, the technology that has to go into that for making it so it can be accessible to all the different press trucks, all your different uh, aspects of it, going to multiple languages, broadcasting different parts of the world. I mean, it's, they literally spend months designing it just for the broadcast. It's, it's remarkable. It's even coordinating all the frequencies. Is that, is that something you kind of delve into is live broadcast or, or is that not something you do? Um, I haven't done a lot. I've done on the most basic level of live as in like, it's been live on the streaming on the internet. And we're talking about like, you know, like just kind of like a lot of kind of, conferency kind of thing so nothing of that caliber ever but um no like grammy awards or that's a know. lot of work too because that's you're dealing with live performances <laughs> yeah. they don't do pre-recorded uh, dubs or anything like that for grammys so you're talking about live performances where you have you know different bands coming out different you might have a string section or something i mean of course they rehearse it for weeks if not months um, but yeah, coordinating all those frequencies of all those microphones, coordinating, you know, whose mic is, who's wearing what mic and who's passing off what mic and all that kind of stuff. It takes a whole team to do that kind of event. Um, I can only imagine. I mean, there's a couple of write-ups about how they do the Super Bowl every year. And just even the halftime show for the Super Bowl, which will be broadcast out, they have something like six minutes to set it up on the field or something like that and have it ready to go. And that's not just including 
like broadcasting out to the world. But I'm sorry, did you say six minutes? It's something ridiculous. Cause like, once they go to halftime, the whistle's blown, and you know they cut the commercials for a little bit. They talk usually in the booth about how the game's going. But meanwhile, they're they're scrambling on the st- on the field, setting up speakers, setting up lights, doing all sorts of crazy stuff, and then they have to be ready to go. And let's face it, you have you know millions of people watching. There's no time to be like. Hey, um, did we change the battery out in that microphone before we sent it out there? Because I think it's getting low. But there's a no, there's no like, wait, hey, can we stop for a second and put a new battery in? There's nothing like, you can't do that. You know, everything has to be wow. like, you know, flawless. You can't, nobody's going to be happy if the lead singer on the, you know, on the Super Bowl halftime show, his battery on his mic dies. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to forgive you for that one. That's going to be a, it's going to be a career ender there for you probably. But, uh, yeah, no. So there's a lot. Yeah, that's that's. I guess that's one of those things. Like with you know, sound is like uh, it's um, something you take. Everyone sort of takes for granted in a sense where you know, unless it's a mistake, no one really realizes you know um, the factors involved with uh, it, you know running sound. Yeah, no. There's a lot of logistics to it, and even like kind of going back to like actual set. I don't want to be on a you know professional film set. Um, even if you're, well, it doesn't matter if you're doing a low budget indie film or if you're doing, you know, a $200 million movie, the tenants are all still there in terms of like, you know, we're using usually similar equipment and usually you have a bigger team on a larger picture. You'll have a boom op and then you also have a, you know, utility, if not several boom ops, sometimes if you're lucky. Um, a lot of times yeah. in indies, just you as a mixer and then with your boom op, usually you don't get a utility. But anyways, but yeah, there's a lot of logistics because ranging from like at the beginning of the day, it depends on the day. You might have a scene where, oh, wow, we only have two characters the entire day. We only got to mic up these two actors. That's pretty standard. That's pretty easy to do, you know, maybe or unless they might have a weird, you know, wardrobe or whatnot. But uh, generally speaking, it can get hectic because let's say all of a sudden you have a scene with 12 people at a dinner table and they all have lines and, you know, you have two cameras going, one's shooting wide, one's shooting tight. So your boom ops going, hey, where am I living? You know, kind of thing. And then on top of it, you know, you're making sure you're on your, cause you want to make sure the mix is clean as possible. So, you know, you have to make sure that you're on it, you know, know your, know your, know your scene and all that kind of thing. You know, so you just don't want, you, you, you have some sort of forgiveness on a set because you can always do another take hopefully, but even then you kind of right. treat it like a live event where you, you act as though this is the last take you're going to get, you know? So you always want to make sure that you're going in, with like the worst case scenario mindset, prepare for the worst, hope for the best kind of thing. And uh, sometimes you're lucky, you know, something goes wrong and they say, oh, well, the camera buzz focus, we're doing it again. So you're kind of happy inside, like, okay, good, I got another take at this kind of thing. But uh, it- that's a really good point that you're, you are what you just mentioned in terms of, uh, you know, you have to look at it like it's your last take, every take, or it's the most important take of the day. Because you never know. Yeah. You want to give you want to give everybody options, and you don't want to be the guy that you know misses his marks or doesn't you know bring up the mix in the right time. Especially for editorial. I mean, editorial wants to move fast. They don't want to deal with your mistakes, uh, especially when you're you know they're dealing with the initial post process. Um, and of course, they'll go back and finesse when they get to the actual mix and whatnot. But providing a working mix for your editors is really nice for them because they can. They don't. It's one last thing they have to worry about. So. That's what we're there for. I mean, yeah, people say like, well, you know, this day and age, recorders have so many tracks. Why don't you just record all the microphones and let them deal with it later? Well, and the reality of it is with the editors are also, the picture editors are also under stress and they're sitting there trying to get their cuts out. They don't want to sit there and be like, oh, what microphone should I use for this line? You know, that's not their job. So we're there to you know provide a mix that sounds great. 
but also all the tracks that are going to sound great as well. So when they do get to the post process and are dialogue editing that, Hey, you know, this is going to work, you know? So, and you know, I, I always tell people like I'm there to get as clean as dog dial clean dialogue as much as possible. Um, that means we have to do some wild lines. If I think that's going to cover our butt for something that mean me talking to the wardrobe department to say, Hey, this necklace is making too much noise, whatever it may be. I'm there to like, hopefully negate anything that later we go, Oh crap. Why did we not think of this? Or why didn't we do something about this? You know, that's our goal. And you know, sometimes we hit the mark and then everything goes well and you know, it works great, you know, kind of thing. And then sometimes we do deal with stuff that's out of our control. Like, like I said, like if you're, you know, shooting next to, you know, LAX somewhere and there's, you know, a plane every 30 seconds, that's something that hopefully, you know, there's not a lot you can do about, but maybe between a little bit of timing, how long the scene is, or even just like, you know, preparing, Hey, let's get some wild lines for this scene or something, you know, anything that you can do to help it so that later in in the post cycle, you aren't getting those emails saying, Hey, like, do you have any clean takes? Who the hell this? is this sound mixer? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, well, I, I, think, I think, yeah, I think, I think one of the things that uh, you know, especially in this podcast, we talk about is um, really good communication, between, you know, interdepartment communication, and uh, how how crucial that is. And you know, I think that in itself, just with locations, plays a large part. And you know, really knowing um, kind of what you're walking into in terms of if you're going to be shooting on a runway or if you're going to be in a, a really good sound stage and um and also on the back end understanding um you know what the delivery is going to be like to the uh the post sound house and just yeah. kind of have an overall workflow from you know uh, location scouting all the way through um you know delivery of the film yeah, no. And also I do a little bit of post and I was trained with it as well, like, you know, post sound. So I, yeah, I, I think that's actually really nice for production sound mixers to have at least the knowledge of how post sound works. Um, I'm not saying you have to be a post sound editor, but just knowing how the process works is like really crucial. Because I think a lot of people, especially, I think more so back in the day when, you know, home studios weren't such a thing. I think a lot of people, you know, it was definitely either, Hey, I'm a production sound mixer or I'm a post sound mixer. There was not a lot. I mean, you would still communicate with each other, but I think it was, you just were skilled at one or the other for the most part. Um, of course there's been people that are, you know, break that mold and are great at both throughout history. But now I'm seeing that with how it's like, there's no real excuse not to know basic sound editing knowledge on how it works. Cause I really, I think yeah, ahead it's on also set. readily available. Oh yeah. I mean, gosh, yeah, there's a you know, plethora of programs and whatnot and just knowing how, you know, like what works. Cause I can even be on set and I'll even get people that are nervous. They're like, Oh my gosh, there's this weird noise going on. Are you worried about that? And I can even listen to it and predict like, hey, no, we're going to do this to make it so I think we'll be fine, except for this part where they whisper, I want to get a couple of wild lines for this or, oh, like the different things where I can like cover my butt. Because I know if I was if I always pretend I'm the one that's going to edit this, even though most of the time I'm not your editor. So it's one of those things where I'm thinking in my mind, if I had to edit this, what would I want? Do I want some room to for this room? Do I want, do I care about this fridge in the corner? Is it low enough or do I need to turn it off kind of thing? Is there some weird buzzing light? Whatever it might be, I'm thinking ahead going, ooh, if I if I got the sound files delivered to me, I knew nothing about this production, am I going to open up the session and be like, holy cow, what's going on here? Why didn't they do anything about this? You know, because obviously planes and stuff you can't control, 
but there's certain things in your environment you definitely can control. And that's, I think, where the line is of just knowing what works in today's, you know, sound mixes and, you know, covering your, your butt a little bit on that. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense, really knowing what your limitations are in post while you're on set. It's almost like a director who kind of sort of uh, edits in his head while he's filming, you know, knowing what exactly. he needs, what he doesn't need. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, that's such a benefit to have that mindset on set because, uh, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like what you said. It's like do or die when you're doing oh, a take. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, you hear about, you hear about editors. I, I, I know like a couple of directors that are also editors and I think that's a you know great skill even for directors to have and just knowing how editing works and knowing, I'm not saying you have to be an editor, but just knowing the process and know what works. I find when I work with, I work with quite a few of them, especially in the documentary world, and it's great because it's like they know in their mind like what they need and what they want. And not to say that they don't shoot extra or they're not just shooting what they just think they need, but it's also one of those things where they know it's going to work and kind of like, especially as, if let's say there's a time crunch on a set, they automatically know, oh, well, I definitely want this over because I know exactly where I'm going to use that kind of thing. You know, versus if they said, you know, originally on their shot list, maybe they wanted three other shots. No, I really want these two shots for sure kind of thing, you know? So it's just good to know, you know, where things are going next, especially when you're on set. Because, you know, yeah, they always joke about how, great, we shot the movie, now we're going to make the movie kind of thing in post. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's there's a truth to that too, knowing that other world. But uh, it's helped me a lot, actually. And I find it interesting as well, but it's definitely helped me a lot in my career as a production mixer, just like being aware Absolutely. of the different elements. What are some of the departments that you really kind of rely upon when, you know, maybe you're at lunch and talking about the rest of the day and um, and your input onto, you know, how that's going to affect sound, you know, any, yeah. any insight on that or experience? Well, I think it's communication always with your first AD is always important in terms of knowing the flow of the day. Because first thing I do when I get on set is I, you know, always want to get the, uh, the call sheet, but also just having the sides and everything else and knowing the order of the day. Um, a lot of times what happens is I'll get, you know, the order of the day, see what we're shooting, our shot list, that kind of thing. And no, okay, well, you know, we, the first two scenes, we got these two mics with the same characters. Okay, so we'll mic them up in the morning. Oh, wait, uh, we have a scene right after that, though, where we got four people. Uh, but the two original people actually have a costume change. Plus, also, there's two new people. So how are we going to move mics around or how are we going to do this? Which then I, of course, also always try to have a good relationship with the wardrobe department. Um, that can really make or break you as well, especially with wireless lobs. Um, just coordinating in terms of just like, hey, what are they going to be wearing? Because you don't want any surprises where, you know, you know, the, you know, the talent comes out of the wardrobe trailer and all of a sudden they're wearing something where you're like, holy cow, how are we going to hide a mic on this girl or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but having the conversation ahead of time lets you like, brainstorm and figure out things, especially if it's challenging wardrobe, like period piece clothing or maybe it's like a, you know, really tight cocktail dress or something like that where you're like, okay, where am I going to hide this mic pack kind of thing. Um, that's always good. Also, and another aspect of our job too um, that people might not be aware of is that as sound mixers, we're kind of in charge of time code and time code is basically how we sync the, you know, the visuals to the sound. Um, now that everything's digital, 
most cameras these days have time code, which is like, you know, we, we have these little things called locket boxes where we'll put on to a, a camera to synchronize with our audio for editorial purposes. Um, and also we're in charge of the time code slate as well, which also indicates what, you know, how we're going to sync things up. So also talking sure. to the camera department at the beginning of the day is also crucial because we got to make sure that, you know, the cameras are all synced up, make sure everything's on time, double checking it. Um, sometimes, uh, editorial request that we have some sort of audio mix on the cameras themselves even now. So back in the film day, obviously you weren't recording audio onto the actual film strip, but now with digital, you can also record audio. So usually what we'll do is a lot of my work that I'm mixing personally will actually get sent wirelessly over to the camera with a little wireless receivers so that when they get to editorial, um, they can go, hey, what shot's this? And rather having silent footage, they can hear your you know working mix on there. So it also serves as a backup purpose too if something were to go wrong. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of aspects like that where the different departments of knowing. Um, also, our, like for a boom off, for example, another thing is too is like anytime they're on set, they always want to talk to the camera operators and also the DP to know like, hey, what, what, how, what lens are we on? Where are we looking? Are we, you know, are we zooming in here? Are we, you know, going to slide over? Are we like, you know, there's different elements of like, is the camera going to move on me? So I know my boom needs to get out of the frame at a certain point. You know, just knowing that kind of information as well is really important and key to make sure that we, you know, don't ruin takes with booms getting in the shot or anything like that. Yeah. Which can be, can be like, you know, so expensive in post if there's a, a boom shadow. <laughs> yeah, no, Jeff. That's and you got to get visual really specs to come and clean it up frame by frame. And, yeah, exactly. Right. So just like usually, yeah. our, usually our boom off, whoever's booming, you know, that's definitely a conversation they're having with the camera department, you know, especially if you're dealing with a complicated lighting setup or maybe you're shooting multiple cameras and you got, you know, a wide angle lens, or maybe you have two specials, like where you got like, you know, two different characters being shot at the same time. You got to figure out, okay, is it more important for me to be focused on this guy or this woman over here, whoever it might be in the scene, whatever makes sense. Um, that can get pretty complicated, especially with a complicated scene. So, but uh, yeah, it's all, it's all good to talk to everybody and just talk to everybody on set in terms of like, Hey, like how can we work together? You know, it's not, it's not, I, a lot of people kind of, default to like the other oh, you know wardrobe's got the these like horrible costumes that are making it difficult to mic it's like yeah you can say complain about it or you can try to figure out a solution so like i'd rather work with them together and be like okay pretty tight dress i wonder if we can maybe clip it back here like you know, just talk about different things and nine out of ten times they're going to want to work with you you know if you're going to have that attitude rather than being like like how come i wasn't told about the necklace or like you know that kind of attitude um, it's definitely a, <laughs> a lot easier just to be able to communicate with each other and do it right rather than sit there and complain about it. So, right. Exactly. Just, uh, sit on your Island and then say, well, if she had a different dress or if there wasn't a period piece, I could do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It'll kind of get you nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's, um, I think that's what makes the sets that we work on really special is we, you know, we all have such a great relationship and, uh, yeah. Um, and we've we've really uh, harnessed the idea of communication. And I think that has been, had a tremendous impact on just like, you know, the quality of our work. And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah, having a technical crew always helps as well. I mean, whether you're shooting the smallest of smallest projects where, you know, it's minimal crew. So even if you're on a big set with hundreds of people, I mean, just having relationships with people on set that we can work together is, you know, crucial. I mean, there's no way you're going to get through these long days for multiple weeks, if not months at a time, 
or even on, if you're on a small documentary crew traveling around the world, it doesn't matter. Like if you're not getting along and not working together for stuff, then you're going to have, you're going to have a hard time, you know, and it's not going to be, it's better to work together. I mean, even if I'm on a documentary and I'm traveling around with a one man band for sound booming and mixing them all myself, you know, and I would say it's a small crew with only one camera or something like that. I mean, having a, you know, a good relationship with the op the camera operator is crucial because you gotta you have plenty of these things out ahead. Now you're dealing with other logistics of like traveling and packing up gear and moving around in vehicles, whatever it may be. You know, you might be out in the elements, you might be out in, you know, you're might be 14 time zones away trying to figure out like how you can stay awake even. You know, but yeah, just having relationships yeah. like that is always important. Yeah, especially um, being able to input, uh, you know, openly input like the uh, the variables with recording sound and how that may affect you know, setting up a shot list or, or, um, nailing down locations. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, uh, everything's better to discuss beforehand than afterwards. I mean, that's, you know, kind of a given in the film business, but, yeah. um, there's so much value in that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've definitely, I mean, I, I'm an optimist when it comes to set. I always hope things are going to go right, but I always, you know, I always make sure I have the backup plan, you know, anytime you go into set, I mean, I always carry a lot of backup equipment with me as well, just because like I, I know that if I'm there on set and I tell somebody, hey, we can't do this right because I have this one cable that it broke and I don't have a backup for it. That's not going to fly. You know, I can't be I don't want showstoppers. I don't want things where we're in a panic because we can't make something work, you know, and that's right. another thing is like, I mean, that's learned through a lot of experience. You know, I mean, years of years of doing it, you realize, you know, where your fail points are, or things that are common, even just knowing, you know, the geography of things. I mean, gosh, when you first start out and you, you know, you move to L.A. and you're there and you're learning out different neighborhoods and some place you're like, holy cow, oh, we're shooting over there. Oh man, the park's always loud. I gotta prepare for that. Or oh, if, oh, they know they know that, you know, oh, it gets really windy up in that part of town. I should bring some extra wind protection for my microphones. You know, different things like that, even knowing ahead of time of where you're going, you know. Heck, even for loadings yeah. and loadouts. I mean, I always am always trying to be on top of things or even especially in the documentary world where we're, you know, sometimes moving around a lot, just knowing where you're going and what you're doing. And okay, well, if I can only take a small subset of gear with me for this shoot. Well, I need to make sure I want to have this backup, this backup, this backup, or I need to have extra batteries for this. Cause we're going to be away from power the whole day or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, just, just knowing your environment. And I mean, that's mostly learned from just experience, but just being aware, you know, and just never being like, okay, everything's great. Everything's fine. Nothing's going to go wrong. I mean, most of your days, everything does go fine or most things go fine, but then, as you know, it just takes that one thing to go wrong where, oh, wow, my power cable to my recorder totally broke and it's a high rose connector and you can't go to Best Buy and pick this up and I'm in, you know, Iowa. So what do I do? Kind of thing, you know, like knowing you have backups and having plans for things is just crucial and it's experience, you know. I mean, I, I learned most of my, I always joke, I mean, I love going to film school and I had a great four years there and I learned a lot and I learned the basics of, of what I do. I learned more the first year outside of film school just by doing it and doing it a lot of times wrong than I did like learning all four years. Probably. I would that, learn and that makes, that makes total sense because it's like until you're out in the environment, you're not really challenged. No, 
Yeah, I mean, you're challenging, you know, on a film shoot and, you know, things. we always joke that you can always tell it's a student film when the sound sucks. That's always the common joke, <laughs> especially this day and age where cameras look great. And if you get the lighting dialed in pretty decent, you're probably going to look pretty good. But yeah, you always know it's a student film when they open their mouth and all of a sudden you're like, wow, why does that sound like garbage, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. but but it's one of those things where, yeah, you just learn from doing, I mean, there's, and then this is the crazy age of you know information age here where you can go online you can ask these questions i mean there's i can go online right now and talk to academy award-winning sound mixers and they'll sit there and go like oh yeah definitely you should use that microphone for that shoot if you're bringing that question up kind of thing you know we live in a crazy time where we can even do that so that's definitely helpful as well but and or even just you know having access to how you know I can pull up any service manual for any of my gear on my phone in two seconds. You know, if I'm out in the field, hey, how does this oh, work? Yeah, I, I mean, know. that's insane that you can, yeah, figure yeah. out technology, yeah, by oh, YouTubing yeah. something. And technology, and knowing the technology. But then you have to be careful, too, because at the end of the day, and, you know, this is kind of common with a lot of departments, is call it gear acquisition syndrome. Because a lot of people think that they need to get, get out there. If they only had this really good microphone, or if they only had this really good recorder, then all of a sudden, like the sound is going to be amazing. But really, you can have the best microphones in the world. If you don't know how to use them, it's going to sound like garbage. You know, I don't care how good your like your wireless laws are. If you don't know how to mic somebody up, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, so it's all it's all. Let, let me ask you something about that because I I um and just being honest, have never really delved too much into sound equipment. I've always sort of, you know, relied on, um. You know, if I'm hiring a sound mixer, just um, yeah. kind of an understanding of their capabilities and seeing their previous work, and you know, uh, are there times people are like, "What's the mic and how, what's your system?" And are you know, are, are you um, uh, do people kind of like you know um, want to know what you're working with, or do they sort of um, more assume that you're working with good stuff? And depending on that, it depends. I mean. For, it's funny because I feel I felt like when I first started out, when I barely had any gear in my you know my own possession, it's funny when you're doing the lowest budget stuff. They're always like, "Well, like, what kind of recorder are you using?" And they're asking all these questions, and you're like, "Oh, oh, I'm using this or that." And they're like, "Oh, I haven't heard that one or whatever." But it's funny because like as time goes on, the real professionals don't care what you're using as long as it's sounding good. Right. So that being yeah. said, there's definitely a certain level of expectation of how things should sound. Of course, as technology gets cheaper and cheaper and better and better, there's definitely still, you know, a lot more access. Like, I mean, there's certain things that are in the marketplace now that when I was first starting out, I wish I would have had access to, you know, because like, you know, a eight track recorder, you can get one for, yeah, less than a thousand dollars now. Or heck, if you want to splurge, get even like a really good solid name brand one for like fourteen hundred dollars. And it does what, you know, a $10,000 recorder did a decade ago, you know? So it's like right there alone, you're like, oh, wow. That being said, I mean, of course, being film equipment and whatnot, it's not cheap, obviously, especially for the good stuff. Um, This is not stuff you're going to find, you know, at Best Buy or whatever. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, even my stuff is, you know, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. But, you know, if you want a major motion picture set where... You know, guys, you know, especially television. There's a lot of usually running a lot of microphones for you know, television and whatnot. I mean, the average wireless transmitter, if you actually did it per channel basis, I bet if you did the math for like a really professional level system, you're probably looking at like easy, probably about $2,000 for the transmitter by itself. And then you're talking about then your wireless microphone attaches to it. You're talking probably another five, $600 for that. 
for the love. And then you're talking about for the receiver too. You're talking about probably another, at least a grand for receiver. So, you know, each microphone is probably costing you, you know, 3,500 to $4,000 each, you know? So it's a, it's a heck of a, yeah. heck of a big budget you have to have if you need 10 microphones or whatever. That being said, for anybody right. starting out, of course, the best way to go is buy used and good, you know, cause all this stuff is built well, that's on that kind of level. But yeah, technology wise, I mean, at the end of the day, even though the technology has changed a lot and the recorder has gotten better, it's the same thing. It's just new problems, right? Because now, yeah, of course we can have recorders with, you know, eight tracks running, no problem, and in our bags even, you know, things that used to have a whole mixing board for, you know, on a stage or something. And now it's like mm-hmm. in a bag, you know. But the thing is, is that yeah. there's different things we have to deal with, especially um, as I know, I do a lot of documentaries and I travel the world and like wireless microphones each country has its own laws about it and what you can and can't use in terms of frequencies. So you have to plan that ahead too. Oh, that's really interesting. I had no idea of that. Yeah. So unless you're using some low end stuff that uses like kind of shares the space spectrum with the uh, like wireless or uh, with like Wi-Fi and things like that. Um, most UHF transmitters are a certain frequency range. You usually call them a frequency block. Now, as technology has gotten better, a lot of these things are encompassing a lot more wider spectrum per transmitter. So you can shoot in LA, then go to New York. And even if you have to change the frequencies, you just dial it in on the transmitter, you're done. Um, back when I first started out, literally it was like, hey, you get this certain swath of, on this transmitter, you get this range and that's it. And if you need something else, you have to use a different type of transmitter kind of thing. So it's getting better, but also just one of the biggest things we face now too is that the laws are currently changing right now because of uh, 5G is being deployed um, for cell networks and they kicked off a lot of our legal frequencies. So we lost a big swath of frequencies we're allowed to use now and you can't use it anymore. And even if you did, you're going to be, you know, beamed off the, you know, you totally be fighting cell phone towers basically, which will overpower you every time. So a lot of times, so, so you almost have to have like uh, different equipment for different countries, or I mean, yeah, you have to like plan ahead. Yeah, definitely, yeah. and then different power transmission. Like in Europe, you can only broadcast at a certain power level versus in America, you can do higher than that. I mean, there's different laws about it. Now the transmitters are becoming better and better about that. Thankfully, because of all these laws changing and whatnot, they have been making new transmitters that are better about it. But even some of the older equipment I first started out, it was like, yeah, you might have stuff that works great in L.A., get a job to go shoot in, you know, Dallas, Texas. You're like, oh, that should be easy. You go there, turn your microphones on, go, I can't get somebody 15 feet away from me. You know, like you're fighting to find a frequency for them or something. So there's definitely things like that where you're playing even into like, you know, what televisions, transmitters are in town or, you know, radio towers, everything. So there's a lot of interesting things that people don't think about because they just think, oh, I bought a wireless microphone. I should be able to turn it on and it works, right? No, you have to coordinate. So it's definitely a kind of a hidden side of that. Um, There's a whole science behind that where, I mean, I don't even know half of it, but like, there's definitely a, you know, a certain, like you have to have a knowledge of where you're going and whatnot. So, um, that's one aspect. And then, yeah, even just equipment in terms of like lugging around your equipment, like traveling the world. I mean, gosh, like I, I do a lot of documentaries and you travel around the world and you're dealing with different, you know, the carnets and stuff like that with your gear, where you have to make sure you have all your gear, serial numbers, all that kind of stuff ready to go. But even just packing logistics where you're like, I've had, I've been on a flights before, where you're in the middle of Africa and then they go like, why do you have all these batteries with you? This is too many batteries. 
and you're like, and you and the camera guy are like, oh crap, we we're in the middle of Africa. And the pilot's saying we can't take all his batteries on this plane because he's he's worried about the lithium batteries or something. There's all these different problems you have to you know think of ahead of, and think about like, what do we do? Can we get? Can we should we ship stuff ahead of time? Should we you know carry this on? Uh, pack this? You know whatever it may be. So. It's kind of just knowing, and you learn that from a lot of experience of just traveling and doing things, or even here in town, just knowing like what works, you know, just knowing like, hey, this part of town, if you go downtown LA, not only are you dealing with a bunch of noise, like physical noise coming through from, you know, cars and helicopters and everything else, but you're, you know, dealing with, you know, a million cell phone towers, a million TV transmitters, you're, you're, you might be fighting to be able to have two microphones on the air, you know, if you don't have the right equipment. So just knowing that right there can make or break your day so wow that's a really good point yeah yeah no it's not, it's not that simple i mean a lot of these microphones are quote unquote easy to use these days but the problem is there's all the hidden factors like that where even if you are hey i just went down and bought a thousand dollar set microphone set this, this will work out great for wireless law i can do it myself and then you don't know how to use it and they're like wow how come it's all static key and it sounds like you know garbage when i got back home it's like well did you you know frequency coordinate all your equipment and people are like i don't even know what you're talking about i just turned it on kind of thing you know? <laughs> yeah frequency <It's>, coordinate what <laughs> so yeah no that's a big art you have to learn for that so i always tell people i'm not there for the for like when things all go right, you know, cause a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, I do documentaries. I know how to use a wireless lob. I know how to put a shotgun microphone on something. Like, I, I don't know why I need a sound mixer kind of thing. You know, this is especially true with love, like smaller, low budget stuff. They always like kind of like want to do it themselves. I always tell people I'm not there for when things work and you have a great day. I'm there for when you're trying to do that important interview where the person said, I'll give you half an hour of my time. Why are you, and then the clock's ticking because your microphone's not working and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to work this thing and I'm losing time. Am I even going to get this interview or is this even going to happen today kind of thing? I'm there for when things go wrong. You know, that's why I'm there. Um, like, I mean, you could teach people the basics of sound mixing and have them get out there and do it, you know, within a reasonable amount of time to know the basics, right? But I'm not there for the right. basics. I'm there for when, holy cow, everything's gone to hell and nothing's working. What do I do? I'm there to make it so I can go, okay, I have a plan for this. That's, this is how I'm going to fix this problem. That's what I'm there for. Wow. You just fired me up, Cody. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> you're always so calm and cool on set. Who knew you were, uh, you know, saving the film. So like a quiet savior. <laughs> no, I, I try not to look so easy. <laughs> <laughs> there are those days. Though. Um, <laughs> What's that? There are those days where there's things that go wrong and you're like, oh no, you know, what am I going to do? And that's when you kind of have to default back to your experiences and your training, you know, but yeah, that's, I try to, I try to fix problems before anybody's aware of them, to be honest, but yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think, uh, you know, that like, uh, experience is a real deciding factor in a successful day, you know, oh, when it comes to the variables involved in uh, making your day. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like with sound, that's one of the, the key ingredients. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Like I said, I could, I could make a hundred thousand dollar sound kit and give it to somebody that's a basic, you know, knows the basics. And it doesn't mean that because they have a hundred thousand dollar sound kit that they're going to know how to use it all and use it right. You know, it doesn't mean that like, everything's going to sound amazing because it's like, Oh, it must just do it itself. Right. It's not how it works. You know, it's, it's definitely, I'd rather have a crappy set of systems that have to deal with and make it work rather than how, and like know how to use it 
and have the best equipment in the world and not know how to use it. So do you, do you feel that you have to keep up with the times and constantly buy new equipment or are things getting outdated and, you know, buying, you know, uh, I mean, it, it really depends. I mean, the funny thing about sound, like we're such camera, a transformational time right now. I know. Yeah, we are for sure. There's definitely advances. I mean, every day there's not every day, but you know, every month there's some new gizmo or gadget out there for makes our lives easier. But I noticed that like, unlike camera departments where there's like a lot of technical demands where it's like, Oh, Hey, this is for Netflix. They want 4k. You have to shoot this on a 4k camera. I mean, here in the sound world, we're already uncompressed. There's nothing like sound quality wise. I mean, all the, all the zeros and ones have been the same quality for quite some time. Of course, each, you know, certain recorders sound better in terms of like, you know, their mic preamps and noise floors and that kind of stuff. But once you get to the professional yeah. level, a lot of things sound pretty darn similar in terms of equipment, in terms of recorders, right? The biggest thing is really microphones, but microphones, same thing. Not a lot's changed over the years. Like a microphone that is from the, you could use a microphone from the eighties that was expensive. It's still going to sound good today. Of course, you could probably get a microphone that costs way less than what you paid in the eighties for today. And it'll sound similar maybe, but generally speaking, microphone wise, things don't change that much. It's mostly on recorders. We have some, you know, convenience features like, Oh, Hey, this one, you know, you can sync it to your phone and you remotely start the recording or, Oh, this one can talk to transmitters wirelessly and you can, you know, change settings without digging through wardrobe. There's certain little things that help out in terms of convenience. Um, the only thing that really I've been affected by, I mean, I have wireless microphones, you know, from Electrosonics, which are professional grade microphones. I, I bought them used. They're probably 10 years old by now, but they still work. They still sound great. You know, they're still making them to this day, you know, kind of thing. It's the same basic microphone they made 10 years ago. The only difference is now it's like, you know, put a backlit screen on it and it has a couple of extra features. That's it, you know, kind of thing. But then of course, I mean, that being said with, you know, they're changing all these laws and stuff. I do have some stuff that legally I won't be able to use in the United States. So I had to think ahead of time. Of course, he told us this a couple of years ago. So I've been upgrading certain things to, you know, and I wasn't totally affected by it, but I definitely had to get rid of, sell some equipment, upgrade some equipment that could be in tune with what I'm allowed to use here in the States now. Um, that being said, generally speaking, I mean, it doesn't move as fast as cameras in terms of my gear. Um, it's very easy to fall down that gear acquisition syndrome idea that you need to have everything be the latest and greatest. But generally speaking, like I said, it's if as long as you're in the professional realm, I would even for people that are starting out, I recommend, yeah, you might think you need the newest recorder or whatever, but I'd rather buy a really well-built used recorder that still sounds great. Maybe it's a generation old, maybe it came out three or four years ago. It's still going to sound amazing, okay? I mean, unless you're going to be going on to mixing some television show where it's like, you know, for network or something, nobody's going to know, right? You know, if you're doing your indie film or you're doing even like a pretty moderate film in terms of budget, like it's still going to sound great if it's a few years old. So, I, yeah, I that's, I mean, that's, that's interesting because the uh, delivery requirements haven't really changed at all. I mean, you know, the video requirements have substantially changed in terms of delivering kind of future proofing, like, you know, some companies yeah. now want 8k and you, you know, yeah, um, no, it's, it doesn't change as quickly. I mean, like right now I'm recording this on a, you know, a sound device is 633. I think it came out five, six years ago. I've had it for five or six years. I mean, of course you, you know, I spent whatever $3,500 on it or whatever it was at the time, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's been my workhorse for my big stuff for the last five years. And they just released a new version of it. So it took them five years, over five years to like do that actually. And like even the new ones, 
you know, it's got some nice features that are definitely nice. And it definitely like if I was looking to buy something, if I was starting over, I'd buy the new one. But right now it's like, no, no, no. I haven't had a single client say, hey, can you use a newer recorder? I think it's going to sound better. Like, no, this one still sounds great. So it's like, and it can deliver everything you'd ever want. Still so kicking. Yeah. yeah, still kicking. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like buying like a Lexus or something like that. Yeah. You spend 50 grand on it or whatever, but keeps on churning through the years, you know? So sound gear, especially when yeah. it's professionally built is, you know, solid. So. And do you, do you feel like the, it, you know, I guess it's kind of a broad question, but do you feel like the, the old stuff has a little bit more quality to it as opposed to the new stuff that's maybe made for, um, you know, it's more enticing and marketable and, um, um well, know, for made... sound equipment, actually, I have to almost shy on the opposite. I mean, there's definitely some, I think in the mixing world in terms of like mixing board, especially if you ever talk to a musician who's like in a studio environment, there are certain vintage mixing boards that are absolutely 100% built like tanks and are like extremely desirable and expensive. Uh, I mean, you're talking oh, about, yeah. you can spend a half a million dollars on a mixing board, you know, kind of thing. But that's usually in the, that's usually in the music world where they're really looking for like a warm sounding board or something. Um, for us though, I mean, there's still guys out there. It's very interesting talking to sound mixers that have been doing this for a very long time. Um, I mean, I've only been doing it professionally for about 10 years now, but I talked to some people who have been doing it for 40 years. And it's funny because some of them still have, maybe it's in their closet and they've only busted out a couple times a year but they'll have a mixing board that was, you know, like, you know, some high end mixing board for, you know, on set mixing back in the day when they were mixing the tape even. But once in a while, they're like, hey, I could use this for a project in terms of going in my digital recorder. And those even still command high prices because they still have a certain sound to them. They sound very good and clean. Um, that being said, I mean, I feel like digitally speaking, now that we're in the digital world, um, some of the early digital stuff, there was a debate about like, oh, I still think my analog gear sounds better, but now with digital and how like, especially even, even on the lower end now, some of these preamps on these, on these recorders and stuff still sound amazing. I mean, I mean, nobody's, nobody's like really, unless you're a musician, nobody's clamoring to go back to tape. I'll tell you that. So like every, everybody's I think sold on the digital world and <laughs> the, the digital realm. I don't think he's missing DAT tapes or missing. Could you imagine giving tapes. that to a DIT? They'd be like, what the hell? Is yeah. This here's stuff? my DAT tape for you to record to, or <laughs> here's my quarter inch reel for my Nagra. No, nobody's really clamoring to that. Sick um, sound, bro. Sick sound. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think they're going to be too happy if I deliver on that. So, but no, I think of anything, I mean, technology is a double-edged sword, right? Cause there's definitely, you hear those things like, Oh, they don't make them like they used to, you know, kind of thing. But with right, the exactly. sound gear, I mean, I would, I would, maybe if you had some, really nice, I think it probably applies more to the music world for people that are really clamoring over the vintage stuff. Like if you're a musician, you really want that vintage cabinet or you want that certain mixing board or really, you know, old uh, microphone that you really like the sound of. But for dialogue recording on a movie set, I mean, of course I'm using microphones that have been in, I mean, I bought maybe them new, but a lot of these microphones that we use on set are have been around for decades, you know, because like it sounded great in 1990 or whatever it came out and still sounds great now. But that's a microphone, you know, generally speaking, though, yeah. recorders and stuff, definitely the recorders of today are better, though. I mean, we have things they couldn't have been, been fathomed back in the day. So it's quite remarkable. Mm -hmm. And you feel like they kind of give you more leeway, you know, on, you know, of when you're shooting in a variety of different locations. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it, I mean now, especially, I think the biggest thing now is of course track count. I mean, it's just a remarkable amount of microphones we can record into one portable recorder. I mean, there's new recorders out there now that can, you know, do, you know, 
like 16 tracks, 20 tracks at a time, you know, and something that you can put in a bag and strap to your chest. So, I mean, that's, that's remarkable. I mean, that's, that's like witchcraft to 20 years ago, you know? So it's kind of remarkable yeah. how that happens. Just kind of like how home studios are now too. I mean, you got so many people, I mean, in my, I, I do a little bit of post work for sound from sound mixing. I, I can, in my home studio, I can do surround sound mixing that would have taken a, you know, you know, six figure mix stage back in the day, you know, to, to be able to do it. And I'm sitting here in my slippers uh, doing it in my house. Don't be modest because I mean, I, <laughs> when you, uh, did the post sound on the movie smiley, yeah. um, and that was a phenomenal job. I mean, it was, uh, it was our first time working together. And to this day, I mean, I'm still blown away by some of the sound design and how, you know, it was a real run and gun shoot. So the, yeah, you know, to really clean up the sound for that, it, you know, it was uh, yeah. remarkable. No, it's it's amazing. I mean, technology definitely has favored sound. Like, like I said, unlike unless you're a musician that like wants to record a tape or something like that, I mean, digital's changed everything for sound. I mean, just go listen to like even go to like a indie film today and listen to it in a theater. It's probably going to sound pretty good, you know. Versus like you listen to an old, you know, Roger Corman film from 1970, and it's like half of it you can tell has been dubbed because they were, you know, swinging in a one boom, no no wireless mics, and they were just kind of like, you know, winging it kind of thing, you know. And they had, there's a limit yeah. of technology, right? So it's it's definitely changed. I mean, even on the low end, um, who knows where we'll be ten years from now? Even I mean, I've only been doing this for you know 10, 15 years, but gosh, who knows? You know, I mean, that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, I think if anything, we're at a point where, you know, there'll be conveniences added, you know, oh, this recorder can do more tracks or oh, this recorder can, you know, like it's easier to manipulate this. I mean, it'll be, it'll be conveniences more than I think features necessarily, at least in the sound realm. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of, it should be interesting to see where it goes. That's for sure. I mean, well, let me ask you something while I, while I have you, uh, What's something that like isn't like top of your brain where it's like I pulled this off? <laughs> Maybe the whole world doesn't know, but I did this and it was absolutely incredible. Is there anything that ever stands out in terms of like I can't believe we actually made made that work kind of thing? And right, the sound would have been total shit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I figured this out, and it, and it like you know, no one maybe knew, but it it was. Oh, uh, it was yeah, a I mean, we've definitely had to do stuff before where it was unconventional, um, especially if you're dealing with like like really crazy costumes, or if you're really dealing with you know an environment where it's not very friendly. I mean, I think of it. I'm trying to think of a single moment though. I mean, I've definitely had things where I've had to like, especially with costumes where you're like, well, we're shooting this in a wide shot in a oneer. And the boom can't even be even remotely close to these actors. And she's wearing, you know, a short skirt and they're doing a dance number. What are you going to do? Kind of thing. I've had like the wardrobe department. sew in a transmitter to a dress, you know, kind of thing. I've had like things oh, like wow. that where it's like, where we're like, well, there's no option here unless we sew it into it and try to hide it kind of thing. Or I've had situations where, you know, we're, we've had to improvise with, Oh, Hey, we're, you know, in some foreign country, we need to shoot in this car, but there's not enough room for you and you're dropping bags and trying to remote, like remotely monitor it in another follow vehicle or, you know, whatever it may be. There's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes where it's, you kind of are taking risks, I guess you could say to make it work, but you're like, you have to calculate the risk. Like if I'm going to drop a bag in your trunk, hit record, 
I kind of have to know what's going to happen, even if I'm not going to be there, right? I'm, I'm taking a risk. Is right. It gonna, is it going to stop? Yeah, it has to be like a measured risk. Yeah. Is it going to stop halfway through the, you know, when you're talking? We're going to go on a half an hour drive. Is it 10 minutes in? Is it going to stop recording? You know, kind of thing. There's certain risks you have yeah. to take. Um, knowing when it's best to cover your butt on that kind of stuff is always kind of experience based, you know? But um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think if anything, it's, yeah, calculated risk on that kind of stuff. And then also just having backup plans. I mean, I have I have a whole portion of like some of my Pelican cases where I call it like my, it's like my oh crap bag where it's like literally you're on set, something goes wrong, you go, oh crap, because you know something's majorly wrong, right? So like, you know, oh gosh, the power just went down. What, is this battery not working right? Or oh, the power cable from this wireless transmitter is, or this wireless receiver, you know, got kinked in some, got in a Pelican case got, you know, slammed on and broke the cable. Just knowing like, Hey, have backups knowing, Hey, it's not the end of the world. If you have a plan, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's very reassuring. Yeah. I, that's a really good point. Cause I mean, it's like, no one's slowing down for you. And it's like, you do need no. that time to sort of like problem solve. Like, Hey, is it the transmitter? Is it the cable? Is it, you know, the battery? Yeah. Is it, <laughs> you might be having, yeah. or even like some of the most frustrating things too can be wardrobe in terms of like if you put a wireless microphone on somebody and all of a sudden it's like it's just a really starchy shirt or it's like you know they got a lot of chest hair or like even you know like if it's like a kind of a you know like a really tight outfit or whatever and it's just sounding like garbage and you're like holy cow i can't even like this is this isn't gonna work kind of thing and like you know sometimes you can get help from the wardrobe department trying to figure out solutions and whatnot but just having experience in terms of like miking people and just knowing what usually works, what doesn't, when you can kind of get away with it, that kind of thing. That's a lot of experience, obviously. And I mean, that probably settles. I mean, yeah, a lot of people think, oh, you just clip, you kind of just put a mic on them and it sounds great, right? No, it's it's definitely, sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. Maybe you're doing a documentary, they don't care so much that they see a mic bump in a white, a white t-shirt or whatever, fine. But it's one of those things where like you're doing, you know, you're doing a movie that's supposed to take place in 1850. They aren't going to be too stoked if all of a sudden they see this microphone sticking out from the, from the shirt or whatever, you know? So there's a lot of things that you have to kind of factor in to experience but also just having plans and being willing to try things and being willing to fail too i mean i always like i'm I, i'm still learning i mean i'm still learning stuff where i'm like hey i always am frustrated about this and then you kind of have a eureka moment of like well, well let me try this you know kind of thing and maybe that works in that situation you know so it, it really depends um like i said you should always be learning though i mean even the people i talked to have been doing this for 40 years you know they stay up on things and stuff like that in terms of like you know the, uh, the, it's changed a lot. I mean, we've gone from being like, hey, a sound team comprised of usually a guy sitting there at the mixed desk going into a Nagra mono recorder, probably some guy who's running as your utility, but really is winding hundreds of feet of cable to your boom operator because it's all wired. And, you know, you're all recording it onto a tape deck and you're hoping that you get it right the first time kind of thing to now being hey, you still got the boom op, but he's wireless. But now you've also managing, you know, eight wireless microphones. And you're also doing, you know, sending time code to this camera and sending uh, comm text to the clients over in this tent. But then also sending another mix over to the director over in this one, but also an in-ear monitor for this actor who needs a cue to do this. I mean, it's a lot more complicated as well. So even though technology has gotten better, technically, it's also gotten more complicated. So staying on top of that and knowing how to multitask has become really a, a critical skill as well. Yeah. I mean, you've just given me uh, so much more insight than I've had. I 
any idea on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I thought I knew everything. I guess I, yeah. <laughs> another example of you're always learning. I mean, yeah, yeah you know, I, I, um, you know, uh, wow. <laughs> so it's amazing because uh, each crew, each department, um, you know, kind of looks at their department as like, you know, it's, it's a crucial component to, you know, the, um, the balance of a film set. Yeah. And, uh, it's amazing how equally all these departments are and, you know, the weight they hold and how they, they can't work without the other. And, um, it's interesting to see how reliant sound is on other departments, you know, yeah. more so than, than just, you know, outside of even problem solving within your own department. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, like I said earlier, it's like you're only as good as the people around you. So it, you might as well be friends with the, all the different departments and, and, and <laughs> yeah. have a good communication. Cause if you're just, there's like the old trope of like the grumpy sound mixer that doesn't want to talk to anybody or whatever, but that's just, that's not, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? You're not, you're not helping out. I mean, you, you trying to do it all. I, I definitely sometimes find myself like going down the wrong road in my mind of like, Oh, I need to fix this problem by myself. I need to do this now kind of thing. But then I realize, Oh wait, delegating tasks to people you trust and stuff and having a good relationship where you can rather than be like, Oh, I need to fix this microphone on this, on this talent or whatever. I've seen the cable or something like that being like, Oh no, I have a good relationship with the wardrobe department. I can ask them, can you, Hey, can you try to hide this cable a little bit for me? You know, and this, we are seeing a little bit here at the bottom of the t-shirt or something like that. Well, I go take care of this other problem, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Most of the time, if you have a good relationship, with I mean, them, it would be funny help. if you're <laughs> like that, that outfit's not going to work. For sound. <laughs> yeah. No. Or versus being like the type, oh, I have to do everything myself kind of thing or whatever, you know, like it's, it's better yeah. to have a good relationship. So. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been amazing. I, and thank you so much, uh, Cody, for taking the time out to, no to be on the show. No. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, sound is one of those things where it's like either it's, you know, it's there or it isn't. But the the, the variables involved in getting there are, uh, are so fascinating. And so thank you for uh, kind of t- going over all that. No, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's something you don't, a lot of people don't think about, but. I mean, I'm biased, but it's definitely uh, it's definitely quite the trip in terms of making it making everything work is a lot. of It's an adventure every time you go on set because every set's different. But uh, yeah, yeah, it seems like that's the key is yeah. making it work. Oh, yeah. yeah. The key With, is the key is a lot of time. making it work for sure. Yeah. So no. but Very yeah, cool. Thank you. Thanks for having awesome. me on board well, here. Hell yeah. Well, hopefully we'll be uh, on a film set together soon. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we got a lot cooking over at Cineman, so cool. Um, hope you're ready. Yeah. And um, thank you all, ladies and gentlemen. This has been another episode of Tales from the Crew.